Hello, welcome to our audio Bible study. This is the last lesson, the 25th lesson, and I pray that this entire series will help you know more about the God of the Bible. God bless and enjoy the series. Now here we go. This is the very last lesson. And this lesson is about the Holy Spirit. And perhaps we might want to use an example here before we start. You know, for something to work properly and for it to work reliably, it needs to be connected to a power source. Well, no, you know, electrical gadgets that we have cannot work without it plugged in and turned on to a power source. You see, the same is true for believers in Jesus Christ. For a believer to have a successful Christian experience, that individual must be connected to a source of spiritual power. And this, this source of spiritual power for believers is the Holy Spirit. It's as simple as this. Well, let's first start with looking at who is the Holy Spirit. Notice the word used is who is the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit in the Bible states very clearly that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, which is also referred to as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Godhead. The Bible teaches that there is one God and it's made out of three distinct separate persons. The Father, the person, the Son, the person, and the Holy Spirit, the person. The Trinity was described in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 and indeed Colossians chapter 2 verse 9. And you see, each of these divine entities, each of these persons, and these three persons are all united as one God. We call the Godhead. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. But each of these three is in perfect harmony. Each is eternal and each is powerful. And they're all part of this Trinity. Okay, well, we did say that the Holy Spirit is a person. What about the Bible? Does the Bible teach that the Holy Spirit is a person? Well, have a look at Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. I quote, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back off the prize of the land for yourself? And it goes on to say, You have not lied to men but to God, unquote. See, when Ananias and Sapphira lied to lied about their dealings with God and the church. Peter then declared that in lying to the Holy Spirit, they have also lied to God. Now, what this demonstrates clearly is not only that the Holy Spirit is considered to be God, but also that as the Holy Spirit can also be lied to as a person. And the Holy Spirit has a personality and therefore must be considered as a person. That's what the Bible says. And if you look at John chapter 16, verse 13, and I quote, When he, the Holy Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, 
for he will speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Unquote. Here you go. The two verses in the Bible cannot be clearer. You know, seven times in this verse, uh, in John 16, 13 verse, the Holy Spirit is referred to as an individual being. Jesus considered the Holy Spirit to be a person. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a member of the Godhead who loves and cares for God's children. He's a person who cares and loves you just as much as Jesus would and just as much as God the Father would. So here you go. The Bible does teach that the Holy Spirit is a person. I mean, even Jesus considered the Holy Spirit as a person. And in addition, Jesus even promised to send the Holy Spirit to be our helper or comforter. Jesus himself ensured that when he returned to heaven, he will still have, uh, we, we as believers, will still have access to his presence and help through the person whom he's going to send called the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus himself considered considers the Holy Spirit a person. John chapter 14, verse 16 and 18, I quote, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. I will leave you orphans. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, unquote. Jesus has made this promise and he's made his promise to send a person, the Holy Spirit, to us all. You see, when we accept Christ as our saviour, we are given the status, legally given the status as the son of God or sons of God in a legal status. Once we are given this status, we are then helped by the Holy Spirit to experience what it is like to be a son of God. And how does the Holy Spirit does that? Well, simply, the Holy Spirit brings to us the personal presence of Jesus Christ. He brings to us Jesus, and because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus then can live and dwell in us through him, through the Holy Spirit. You see that in John chapter 14, verse 17 and 18, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 24. And I read that again, I quote, in John chapter 14, the spirit of the truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Unquote. Couldn't be clearer that Holy Spirit dwells in us. And look at first John chapter three. He I quote, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, him being our Lord, and he in him, our Lord, in this person. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us, unquote. So here you go, the Holy Spirit brings to us experientially who Jesus Christ is through our hearts. Now, then what is the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, I suppose we can look at the role in two categories, if you like, before being a Christian and after being a Christian. Well, certainly, before being a Christian, the Holy Spirit's job is to convict the person, conviction of sin. Um, essentially, conviction of sin is an understanding and appreciation of righteousness 
and awareness of judgment that are all brought to the believer by the Holy Spirit. Without the ministry of the Holy Spirit, our conviction is not brought to bear. We don't ensure the Holy Spirit makes us realize how sinful we are and how unworthy we are and that we, by our own efforts, cannot save ourselves. We are then convicted that we need a saviour. John chapter 16 verse 8, I quote, When he has come, he being the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, unquote. In short, he makes us realise how depraved we are and how much help we need to be redeemed. Now, I did say just now there are two jobs to it. One is for the unbeliever and the other one is for the believer after you have been convicted. The Holy Spirit's role after you've been convicted is to guide the mind of the student of the scripture, to guide the minds of you who are listening to this audio Bible, guide the minds of believers into an understanding of the truth of the Bible. Psalms 119 verse 130 says, I quote, the entrance of your words, God's words, gives light. It gives understanding to the simple, unquote. So the Holy Spirit, after he has convicted the world, he then guides the world to grow in its understanding of who Jesus Christ is. John 16, 13, I quote, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come, unquote. So think about this. God has loved us so much. He not only sends the Holy Spirit to convict us, he also continues to make sure that the Holy Spirit is dwelling in us to continue to guide us for the rest of our lives, to make sure that we make it. Isn't this a wonderful realization? In short, the Holy Spirit's job is to produce the character of Christ in the life of the believer. John chapter 15, verse 26, I quote, When the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from this Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, unquote. What this means is the Holy Spirit will speak of Jesus and brings the presence of Jesus into the searching believer, into you and to me, into me. Well, isn't this exciting that God himself, Jesus himself, through the Holy Spirit, is going to be sitting and dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit? Well, then would say, how much should the Holy Spirit affect a person's life? Well... God's desire is that his children be filled, filled, totally filled with the Holy Spirit, described by Jesus as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, meaning totally inundated by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 and Acts chapter 1 verse 5, I quote Ephesians first, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Unquote. Notice the word filled. And look at Acts 
I quote, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, unquote. Baptized in this instance means total immersion, totally immersed into the, the living waters of the Holy Spirit. That's how much a person ought to be affected by the Holy Spirit. Well, wouldn't it be interesting to know what happens to the life of a person who has been totally filled by the Holy Spirit? Well, you see, when the Holy Spirit comes into a person's life, that person experiences spiritual growth that will enable him or her to become more and more like Christ. In the book, in the book of Galatians, it talks about the works of flesh, meaning the works of flesh disappear, meaning when we rely on our own efforts to be good people, that reliance disappears and it's replaced by the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the attributes of Jesus that become part of the life of the believer. You change, you change right from the DNA level out, inside out. The fruits of the Holy Spirit is the evidence that you have changed. In fact, Paul in the book of Galatians wrote, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Unquote. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, I quote, The fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want you to notice here, though, there are nine fruits divided into three sections of three each. The first three, love, joy, and peace, is about relationship with our Lord. The middle three, long-suffering, kindness, and goodness, is about relationship with creatures, with human beings. And the last three fruits of the Holy Spirit is about relationship with yourself, within yourself, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, in short, character. So what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You are then in Christ-based connection with the Lord, a Christ-based connection with your neighbors, and a Christ-based connection with oneself. So now we've talked about the fruits of the Holy Spirit, meaning the evidence that you are filled with your Holy Spirit. Now, once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit is there to guide you and to help you along. And sometimes when you are guided and helped along, the Holy Spirit would then measure out certain number of gifts to you to help you be more like Christ. So it's a whole measure of blessing that the Holy Spirit will give to you. So what are these gifts of the Holy Spirit? See, special spiritual gifts are special endowments that produce in a believer certain capabilities that can be used for the upbuilding of the church and the fulfilling of its mission. In other words, the Holy Spirit is there to give you blessings and talents to make sure the will of Lord, uh, will of our Lord is fulfilled. These gifts can be miraculous endowments or the Holy Spirit can use it and develop talents and capabilities in you and myself and some of these capabilities may already be present in your lives or mine 
the Holy Spirit then uses then to further the will of our Lord. Other lists of spiritual gifts can be found in Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 13. But as an example, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. I quote, To one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues." Unquote. This is but a small list, and I would ask you to go to Romans 12, verse 6 to 8, and Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, to, to uh, look at the list of spiritual gifts uh, that are given by the Holy Spirit. Well, then the follow-up question might be then, who decides who gets what? In essence, who decides which spiritual gifts a person is to receive? Well, while a person may desire to receive certain spiritual gifts, it is um, the Holy Spirit who decides which spiritual gifts are given. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, I quote, One and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individual as he wills, unquote. So it's very clear, clearly stated in 1 Corinthians that the decision is made by the Holy Spirit. Now then conversely, then we can ask, how do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is very surprisingly very simple. Receiving the Holy Spirit is as simple as asking God for the gift. God is willing that we receive his vital gift and therefore will gladly give the gift of the Spirit to those who ask. Luke chapter 11 verse 13. If you then, I quote, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?" Unquote. So simply ask, ask and ask. Now you've got to be conscious that the decision to give is made by the Holy Spirit. So you can ask, but if it's the will of the Lord to give you, He will. If it's not His will, then it will be given to someone else. Now next we're going to look at what is considered sometimes quite controversial, the unpardonable sin. What it is, because you need to be aware that there is such a thing as an unpardonable sin. So here we go. The unpardonable sin is the sin against the Holy Spirit. All right, that is simple. Doesn't mean there's certain thing we do or certain thing we say that is considered unpardonable. Well, rather than it being a specific sin, the unpardonable sin is a condition in sin. I'll repeat that, it's a condition in sin. In other words, God has made it very clear that he is willing to forgive any sin. That is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 19, he says, 
If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unquote. But a sin that we choose not to confess cannot be forgiven. So in other words, the unpardonable sin, sin is a sin that is not confessed or a sin that one has chosen not to confess. So it's a condition in sin, not a specific um, action in itself. So in the passage in Matthew 12, it was discussing the, the unpardonable sin. Jesus heals a man who was demon-possessed and blind and mute, and you could see that in 12.22. In, in 12.22, the Pharisees attributed, attributed the miracle that Jesus did to the working of Satan and rejected not only Jesus but also the Holy Spirit who was present to bring conviction to their hearts. We're talking about the Pharisees now. But see, when an individual refuses to surrender, like the Pharisees, refuses to surrender to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that person is rejecting the Holy Spirit. See, while God in His goodness continues to bear with resistant people, there comes a time when those who have hardened their hearts so much against this conviction and have left are these people are then left to their devices. Having rejected the Holy Spirit, they have committed the unpardonable sin. In other words, you keep rejecting, you keep not hearing, you keep ignoring the voices of the Holy Spirit. One day you will cease to hear the voice. One day God will honor your decision to reject him. That is the unpardonable sin, a sin that is not confessed. To use a very simple example, assuming you live in a home where uh, next to a railway line. And when you first moved into the home, you can hear the train going past every day. Every time a train rumbles past, you'll hear him, hear the train. You live there for another three months, four months, five months. Soon you will not hear the train because you have you have gotten used to the noise so much so that you have refused to listen to it. When you refuse it long enough, you will not hear it. Similarly, when the Holy Spirit beckons you to do something or not to do something and you refuse to hear that day in, day out, one day you will not hear that voice again. You see, the reason the unpardonable sin is not forgiven. It is because it is not confessed. If a sin remains unconfessed, the sin in question becomes the unpardonable sin. Well, I want you to also remember this. There is no need to worry that any sin committed in the past and not confessed is the unpardonable sin or that you may harbor unpardonable sins. The unpardonable sin represents a continued rejection of the Holy Spirit's pleading. How long until the unpardonable sin is committed, we don't know, but it is this continuous rejection. The fact that you are worried that you may have an unpardonable sin shows that you are in a position to be able to confess all sins. It is when you are not aware that you are not aware that is the issue. What is known 
is that it is neither wise nor safe to say no to the Holy Spirit. Once you hear the voice, once you understand the voice, you act on it. It is not wise to continue to ignore that. The only right course of action is to surrender when God's Spirit speaks to you and to enjoy the peace and blessing of a union with the God of heaven. Act on it, meaning confess it, repent it, and change in your ways. That's the only way to get any unpardonable sins out of your closet. And I pray that you understand what it was just spoken about what the unpardonable sin is. Now, there is a warning, though, already a warning given by the Holy Spirit as well. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 10, I quote, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, unquote. This is a warning about the unpardonable sin. So the word grieve is used in Ephesians 4, 30, means to make sorrowful. In failing to surrender to the Spirit's prompting, in continued failure to surrender to the Spirit's prompting by either uh, either by the sins we commit or by the things we refuse to do or refuse to listen, the sins of commission or sins of omission, we can grieve and turn away the Holy Spirit. So in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God told Noah that his spirit shall not strive with men forever. Unquote. There comes a time after continued rejection of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit will cease to invite a person to come to Christ. And of course, the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify God. The Holy Spirit is Christ's personal representative on earth. His ministry involves drawing the world to Christ and urging the world to yield fully to Him and know the true character of Christ. The Holy Spirit helps us to understand that those with genuine Spiritual gifts will not seek to draw attention to themselves and those, those with genuine spiritual gifts will not draw attention to, to themselves or to their worthless worldly enterprises. The Holy Spirit seeks to draw people to Christ, not to another human being or to an organization. And the Holy Spirit seeks to draw people to Christ so that he, Christ, may be glorified. John 16, chapter 16, verse 14, I quote, He will glorify me, for he will take off what is mine and declare it to you, unquote. Earlier we talked about, we used the word baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's now, before we conclude, look at what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, Jesus' promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit was realized at the Feast of the Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon all the disciples with a great power and, they re and the disciples received supernatural spiritual gifts. Just as the baptism of the Holy Spirit empowered the apostles for service, believers today, you and I, are prepared for service through the same outpouring of God's Spirit. You can see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13. You see, during the sermon at the Pentecost, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter promised the believers that should they repent and be baptized, 
they too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, a gift that is still available to you and I, to all believers today. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is indeed the outpouring of the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Look at Acts chapter 1, verse 5, I quote, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days now, unquote. Now, before we finish, let's have a look at some basic facts of the Holy Spirit. You can see on the screen now, I've listed it down. The facts about the Holy Spirit are, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is active or was active at creation. He will be poured out in great measure before the return of Jesus. Bible writers wrote about the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The Bible can be correctly understood only through the aid of the same Holy Spirit. And he brings spiritual gifts into our lives designed to equip the believer for Christian service. The Holy Spirit also brings into our lives the fruit of the Spirit, the very attributes of the character of Jesus that makes us more and more like Him. And finally, the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit simply by asking God to give Him to us. Amen. So God wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the greatest gift God can give as we wait for the return of Jesus Christ. So before I finish, I want to ask you this final question. Are you willing to receive the Holy Spirit? Do you desire to be equipped to serve God and be made like Christ? I pray in the quietness of your heart, you would say yes. God bless.